Good morning, church. My name is Frank Letko. I've been a member here for uh, about a year, and I've been saved for about 39 years. The Lord brought me to faith April 10th, 1983. Glad to be with you. It's, uh, it's my joy every Sunday morning to be here with you all. I'm going to be reading uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning and verses around it, Acts 2.42 to 47. You can turn in your bulletins and in your Bibles. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Please join your hearts with mine in a word of prayer. Our Father, we are so thankful for you saving us. We're so thankful that you worked in our hearts. We're so thankful that, Lord Jesus, for the unity that you have brought about in the cross. And we pray today that you would grant us ears to hear your words, your message, preached through our pastor and brother, uh, Pastor Larry. And we ask that you would work with him, that you would fill him with your spirit, that you would guide him, and that, Lord, that we would receive the words with gladness, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I, I used to work at a Christian bookstore as a, as a new believer. I got a job at a Christian bookstore, and um, it was great. There were some really good people that I worked with. But the best part of the job, I think, was probably the 40% discount on all the, all the books. And this was before Amazon, okay? So it was a joy to work at this Christian bookstore. And, and one of the things that I remember looking back on it now is that the, the largest section of the bookstore was called Christian Living. And it was many, you know, rows and shelves of books on Christian living, and then farther down the store, in maybe like a third of a shelf, there was a section that was labeled church slash ministry. And I, I, I didn't think much of that at the time, but it's, it's more recently occurred to me, I, I wonder why those sections were separated. Uh, I, I wonder if it's like a sort of a parable for the way many people understand Christian living. As if there's a way to do that apart from uh, the fellowship of God's people. But there's actually not a way to do that. Uh, I want to be clear that the call of the gospel, the call to repent of your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and for the gift of eternal life, that is 
uh, inescapably, undeniably personal. That is a personal call. You, the individual. And I would just even say it to you right here up front before I, I, I've said anything else. If you're here this morning and you've not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm speaking to you very personally right now when I say you are called by God as an individual to turn away from sin and to turn towards the Lord Jesus in humble reliant faith, receiving him and all that he promises to be. And that call has come, you who are here, who are Christians, you receive that call very personally. But it is possible for that very personal individual call to salvation, it's possible that that might lead to a misunderstanding, that because you confess your sins because you repent of your sin, because you believe upon Christ personally and individually, it could lead to the misunderstanding that you go on living your life as a Christian strictly or mainly individually, as if it's just about you and, and Jesus, and you've got your walk with Jesus. But the life Jesus calls us into is a life that is shaped by and saturated with the fellowship of his people. I mentioned it in prayer a few minutes ago, uh, referring to that phrase in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the communion of saints. Your very personal conversion is an adoption. That's one way that the scriptures speak of it, right? Adoption into God's family. And that means living as a Christian means living like a family member. And I think it can be hard for us, particularly in our world, it can be hard for us to really grasp that because our world, you know, it, 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 our world is the world of the smartphone, right? Where, where the smartphone has rapidly intensified the degree of privacy and isolation that we think is normal. We live in a world where selfishness and self-centeredness largely goes unchallenged and even is actually, in many respects, celebrated. Where uh, the, the statement, be true to yourself, is regarded as like the highest of virtues. Where a, a generation is largely being reared and trained to isolate themselves from human contact and relationship. And in a world like that, we need the correctives of Scripture drawing us back to that family shape, to the fact that you really cannot follow Jesus the way Jesus calls you to follow him apart from the fellowship of his people. And the paragraph that, that Frank just read for us that we are studying together in these weeks drives that home quite forcefully. We're, we're looking at the early days of the church. We're studying the book of Acts, and we've really just gotten started. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come to his disciples, and on the day of Pentecost, he came, and Peter, Peter uh, preached the word of God powerfully, and many were converted. And what we see in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, is what happened when the Holy Spirit fell upon the people. And what happened was they began to live like a family. Because they had been made God's family. 
And so Luke stresses that throughout this paragraph, and we're just looking very slowly at it. We're spending four weeks just to look at verse 42. We will move through the book of Acts a little quicker in the months ahead, Lord willing. But we're just taking four. If Luke slowed down, he wanted to say, here's what it was like in the early days. And we just want to think richly and deeply about that. So we're spending four weeks on verse 42. We considered last Sunday that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and now we come to that phrase there in verse 42, they were devoted to, that word devoted is relating to all four of the things. They were devoted to the teaching, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, devoted to the prayers, and this morning we're thinking about that fact that they were devoted to the fellowship. And I I want us to think about that devotion to the fellowship under two headings. I want us to consider first the church's experience of fellowship and then the church's foundation for fellowship. That's kind of a loose outline, but I wanted to give you something. The church's experience of fellowship and the church's foundation for fellowship. They were devoted remember some of the ideas, if you were here last week, that I gave you with that word devoted. They were occupying themselves diligently. They were paying persistent attention to, holding fast to the fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is one of those things, if you're a Christian, we should just kind of know what fellowship is. Like, it's in our name, right? We should just kind of know what it is. And we might not know exactly what it is. It's not just, you know... uh, the room in the basement where we get together and eat at the fellowship hall. Fellowship means something. And the word here, it's a word, a Greek word that some of you might be familiar with. It's the Greek word koinonia. It has to do with the idea of sharing or having something in common. This form of that word is used in verse 44 when it said the believers had all things in common. Verse 44 is, is clearly referring to the the generosity, the spirit of sharing goods and, need, and, and financial assistance. But this word fellowship in verse 42 seems to be more broad. It, it probably included that, but it was more broad. It was, as, as one definition I saw put it, it's a personal experience of sharing something significant in common with others. That's what fellowship is, a, a personal experience of sharing something significant in common with others. So the the teenager that rode past me last Sunday night, last Sunday night, we were here, we had a members meeting, I was walking home from the members meeting, and I I, I crossed over the railroad tracks, I was walking down Jersey Avenue, and this teenager rode past me, and he, and and usually when a teenager uh, rides past me and he calls back to me, it's not something edifying generally, Uh, it it does happen on occasion. But this teenager called back to me and he said, dude, We're going to the World Series. Did you see it? (laughs) I was like, no, I didn't see it. I was in a member meeting. No, I I didn't get that far. He was riding past me, you know. But but he was, that man, that young man was looking for some fellowship. A common part, a sharing in something significant. He wanted some fellowship. Now that's Of course, not Christian fellowship, but it does give us an idea. I think actually the world of sports does give us a very uh, secular but very real picture of fellowship because nobody's excited about the ball game quite the same when they're sitting by themselves as they are when they're in a crowd. 
Sports does actually have something to teach us a little bit about fellowship. But the fellowship of Christians, the fellowship we're seeing here in Acts 2.42 is, is that enjoyment and that expression of our shared participation in Christ and all the good that we have found in Christ. The, the early church was constantly, steadfastly, devotedly committed to enjoying and expressing with one another that share that they had come to receive and participate in through their new relationship with Jesus. They experienced communion with one another. And I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper They did that too. That will be the whole focus of our sermon next Sunday on the breaking of of bread. But what I'm saying, they had communion. They were sharing with one another. They had a common union, a sharing of their relationship with Jesus together. It even says there in verse 44, they were together. That's what marked these people. They were together. Not just casually, not just mindlessly, not just talking about the weather, I suspect, or or great sporting events, and it's fine to talk about the weather, and it's fine to talk about sporting events, but they were together in a deep, meaningful, and regular way. In the teaching, they were having fellowship. In the breaking of bread, they were having fellowship. In the prayers, they were having fellowship. In the, it we're told there in the passage, it, they, they, would, they were gathering together. It seemed like large gatherings in the temple for fellowship. So in smaller settings, in homes, they were enjoying meals with glad and generous hearts. They were having fellowship, and they were devoted to that. As I was thinking about this devotion to the fellowship, something that came to my mind, and then in my study, it just came popping up again and again, so I'm not the only person who's been thinking about this, but when I thought about the fellowship of the church and what it looks like and what it feels like, I was thinking of those commandments in the New Testament. We, I know them as the one another commandments. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Many, many dozens of them in the New Testament really expounding upon Jesus' command In John chapter 13, that we would show the world that we're his disciples by the way that we love one another. And then the apostles just elaborate, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, they expand upon that call to love in a whole variety of ways, showing what the shape of Christian fellowship looks like. It it was described there a little bit. Well, it was described there in Romans 12, as Rob read that passage to us. It's a life of outdoing one another in showing honor, being devoted to brotherly love. It's about instructing one another. I'm not going to give you all these scripture references because I think that might be cumbersome, but if you want them afterwards, I'll give them to you. It's about instructing one another and caring for each other and serving one another with the gifts that God has given to us to steward. It's about bearing one another's burdens and being patient with one another and forgiving one another, being kind to one another and compassionate and tender-hearted to one another. It's about doing good to one another submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, encouraging or exhorting one another every day. It's about considering how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's about confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another. It's about showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's about living in harmony with one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, comforting one another, building one another up. There are actually more of them, but I'll stop there. 
That's the spirit of the church's fellowship. What, is it, what does it look like for the people of God to be devoted to the fellowship? It's fleshed out in all those one another commandments. It's rooted in the church's being together and loving each other and have the, having the aim of growing up in Christ and sharing him together. And so my, my question is, I need to slow down sometimes, right? I'm, to, I'm told that. Helpful feedback. The question that I have for us is, are we experiencing that together, dear saints? Are we devoted to the fellowship? Let me turn the pronoun and, and address you specifically, from a we to a you. You know, our culture's doing some weird things with pronouns. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, let me shift that from a we to a you. Are you devoted to the fellowship? Are you working to build deep togetherness with others in the family of God? Are you, are you complaining maybe about a lack of fellowship rather than asserting yourself to love and serve and build up others in the congregation as you have opportunity? Uh, do you arrive early enough to this gathering to be able to interact with people and have fellowship with one another on the Lord's day? Or are, are you slipping in late and excusing yourself right when the benediction is given as if the whole point of being here is simply to consume the product that is at the stage rather than to enjoy fellowship together as the family of God? Did somebody say, come on? Praise God for somebody say, come on. I like that. We could handle a little bit more of that, saints. Praise God. I don't know who it was, and that's probably good, that, 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 but praise God. Come on. All right, I'll come on. Are, are you involved? Because it's not just about Sunday. Are you involved in the lives of one another throughout the week? Are you grateful for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and are you telling them so? Are you speaking of Christ and of the treasures that you're receiving from his word? Are you speaking about that with them? They were devoted to the fellowship. And in Christ, that is our calling too. But at this point here, I want to make sure I get to lay in that foundation of fellowship. I've been alluding to it, but I want to be more explicit and extended about it because I don't want you to hear, and as I got to this point in the preparation, I thought you, some of you might be hearing it as if in all of these things, I'm just telling you to do a bunch of stuff that sounds like a big burdensome weight that I'm putting on your shoulders. And I, I'm, I'm burdened that you not receive it that way, and I think we will be helped to not receive it that way if we consider the foundation of the church's fellowship. The, the church is, in fact, called by God, commanded by the Lord Jesus to fellowship, and these, all these one another commandments are meant, I believe, to flesh out for us the spirit and the shape and the scope of that fellowship. But I don't want you to hear those commands. I don't want you to hear that call as something that you have to do, but as something that you get to do. Jesus does command us to do things. Like I just, that's, I, I'm not going to make apology for that. Jesus does make lots of commands. The apostles who carried on the work, who were commissioned by Jesus, they gave the people of God a lot of commandments. Why does Jesus do that? 
Why does Jesus command us to do things? Is it because he's mad at us? Is it because he's wanting to make us miserable? Okay, somebody said no. I just heard somebody whisper, no. He does not, that is not why he commands us. Listen to, listen to the heart of Jesus in, in John chapter 15. This is shortly before he went to the cross. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, we did a whole series of sermons on the Gospel of John. I can't say a whole lot about this passage, but just did you notice there in those few verses that love and joy and commandments are not at odds? The church's foundation for fellowship is the love of the Lord Jesus himself. And there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. The church's foundation for fellowship is the fellowship with God that we have come to know and enjoy through the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And that someone is not just any someone. That someone is the high and holy son of God who left his father's throne and came down and emptied himself to show his love and bled for Adam's helpless race. And so we cry, we have tasted this love of this great friend, Jesus, and we declare amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That was foundationally driving these saints in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, right? Remember, I, I said this last Sunday, the, the passage begins with, and they. The, these people had, ex we're not just introduced to these people for the first time in verse 42. We were just told about them in the verses beforehand. They were among the number who heard Peter proclaim on the day of Pentecost, that they were guilty, that they were complicit in murdering their own Messiah. And by the Spirit's power and grace, they were cut to the heart over that proclamation with deep contrition and conviction about how they had scorned Almighty God by condemning the anointed Savior that he had sent to rescue them. And, and, and yet Peter's word to those people on the day of Pentecost was not a word announcing to them the condemnation that they had so richly deserved, but it was a word of, of mercy that the sentence of condemnation was being stayed and these prisoners to sin and judgment and hell could be forgiven, could be given pardon and could be reconciled with God through faith in this Jesus and through repentance from sin. 
And by that spirit-wrought faith, these hell-deserving sinners had become citizens of heaven and members of God's family, those who had been transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son that they might share together, that they might have a share, something in common to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And, and beloved, that's not just their story, that's our story. If we're in Christ, that's our story. There was a time when all we had was a share in the wrath of God. Revelation 21.8 speaks of those who are faithless and those who are immoral and those who are detestable, whose portion, whose share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. When we were a part of the, if we could put it this way, the fellowship of death, when we were in that condition, the Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth. He emptied himself, and he came to share with us. He came to have a kind of fellowship with us by sharing in the sufferings that we had earned for ourselves by our sins because he came and he tasted death for every one of his own that we might share with him in everlasting glory. So again, I'll just remind you of these verses that Rob read from Hebrews 2 after he prayed. And he, he read to us Hebrews 2, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He came to share in our humanity. Why did he do that? So that he could die. The Son of God came and he shared in our humanity so that he could die, so that by his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came to share in our misery that we might be forgiven, cleansed, lifted up, and brought to glory, to share in everything that belongs to Christ. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Do, do, do you remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth? They were having all kinds of quarrels, and they were, they were divided about their preference of teachers, and they were enamored with certain gifts above the others. They were, they were a mess in Corinth, and Paul, saw, Paul said at the end of chapter 3, well, this is going to be my paraphrase to how he answered, he's like, what are you doing? What are you arguing for? What are you conflicted about? He says, now I'm going to actually really quote. He says, all things are yours. Whether Paul, you're, you're arguing about which teacher is your guy. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Why? Because you're Christ's and Christ is God's. Jesus has shared it all with us. I, I've heard it said that no one ever lived out that sentiment, what's mine is yours, quite like the Lord Jesus did. Kids, kids, a little word about sharing for you, kids. Kids, have you ever found it hard to share? Maybe sharing a toy, maybe sharing the last piece of cake, or the last scoop of ice cream, maybe sharing the attention of mom and dad. It's hard to share. Have you ever found that it's hard to share, kids? Okay. 
Somebody, okay, at least some kids are tracking with me. Do you know what that shows you that it's hard for you to share? It shows that you're a sinner. It shows that you're a selfish sinner. No, no, don't raise somebody else's hand. Raise your own, <laughs> raise your own hand, kids. Your parents are selfish sinners too. It's hard for us to share. It's hard for everybody to share. But kids, I want you to know, nobody shares like the Lord Jesus. He's a great sharer. And he shared everything with his people. He shared his body. He allowed his body to be broken for us. He shared his blood with us. He shared his righteousness with us. God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That in him, because he shares with us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He shares his father with us. We're adopted into God's family. He shares his spirit with us. He shares his kingdom with us. He shares his inheritance with us. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He shares his peace with us. He shares his joy with us. He shares his home. He's going to prepare a home for us. He shares his glory. We will appear with our Savior in glory. He shares his Father's love with us. Oh, Jesus did, in fact, share it all with us. And because of Jesus, we can truly say with King David, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What a beautiful share we have because of Jesus. And, if you, and I'll just say one more time, if you're here this morning with us and you've not come to Jesus, this great share to be plucked from a share in eternal death to a share in eternal glory, we're inviting you into that fellowship today, and all you need to do to have, there's no, there's no works, there's nothing you can do to merit it or earn it. All you need to do is confess that you deserve the judgment of God for your sin and come to Jesus and say, Jesus, rescue me. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I see the love that you've shown. Save me, forgive me, and help me to follow you, and he will give you that share in the tree of life for you to enjoy in the fellowship of his people forever and ever. Come to him today. Beloved, most of you sitting here this morning, you have come to share that fellowship. And if you've come to share in that fellowship, we have sweet fellowship with each other. I hope that all that I've just labored to share for the past 10 minutes reframes how you hear all those calls and commandments to fellowship from an ought to, from a have to, to a I get to. I get to. I, 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 was, on, I was over at, at the Pittman Golf Course a few weeks ago on the putting green. That's about all I can do on the Pittman Golf Course is putt, but... We were there putting, and I think I had my Penn State hat on. Is this right? And there was a guy, there was a guy that just, he started striking up a conversation with me about Penn State. And he had a, he, he was from, he, did, he was a graduate of Penn State, but he also lived in State College for many years. And so we just, you know, right there on the putting green, it's like, oh, you went to Penn State? 
and we're just talking about stuff. Don't talk, talk to me about the game yesterday, please. I do not want to hear about that. But we started talking about our different, different spots on campus and different memories we enjoyed, and, and, and there was a bond. There was an instant bond that we had because of that shared experience. Now, if that could happen on a putting green, or if a teenager is eager to share with me the thrill of a little white ball getting hit by a wooden bat going over a fence, and that was cool, that was exciting. Don't, but if, 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 if that can happen, what thrill is it to revel in and rejoice in our Jesus together? Bryce Harper, great player, great hit, did not bear the judgment of God for my sin. Did not resurrect on the third day to secure for me a living hope that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. He did not do that. But in Christ, in the gospel, Jesus has become our life, and it's the most natural and joyful experience to share all that we share in him with all others who've come to share in that share with him. And I may have just said the word share too many times, but I think you know what I mean. We had, when we were cast off, now we've been forgiven. When we were God's enemies, now we've been reconciled to him. When we were living under his curse, now we live in the joyful favor of his blessing. When, when, we, when we were condemned to an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth, he plucked us out of that and gave us the hope of feasting in endless joy with him. We've been bound together by that shared experience of redemption. That's what binds us together. Not our colleges, not our sports allegiances, not our economic status or our marital status or our political convictions or our ethnicities, but we've been bound together in Christ and that, that new resurrection life that we've begun to enjoy in him. And so the apostles say, we're looking for fellowship with you because it's the completion of our joy. First John chapter 1 is all about fellowship. John described, he describes his experience of relating to and being with the Lord Jesus in his humanity. And he says, that which we have heard and seen, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There was no greater joy that John knew. He was with, he stood with, he listened to Jesus teach physically. He saw the miracles. He beheld the resurrected Christ. And he said, what's really going to complete my joy is to share with you what I've seen and come to know in Jesus. Oh, please, beloved, do not hear a have to when I speak to you about being devoted to the fellowship. I have to spend time with my unbelieving family members on Thanksgiving. And I said that with some trepidation because my sister is known to peek in on these sermons from time to time. I love her. She is a wonderful young lady, if you're, if you're watching. It would be awkward. My family members are wonderful people in certain ways. But they don't know the Lord. They don't share that with me. And it's discouraging. It's discouraging to spend a day that is marked off for thanksgiving 
with people that don't know the fountain and source of every good thing we have. I think it's a good thing. Others of you will be in that same boat with me. You will be spending time with people that don't know the Lord. And it's a good thing. We want to bear witness. We want to love our family. We want to commend Jesus to them. But it's discouraging. It is not discouraging to spend time with my brothers and sisters who have come to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's just come over for lunch. We have some meatballs. Just looking for some fellowship, sent out an email, nobody replied. Thank you, you guys are coming, okay, we got that worked out. But like we got, there's a little space at the table for us to just share about our Jesus together. That is not discouraging. That is never discouraging. The saints are, and Frank, you didn't say it, I don't think this Sunday, but it's a verse I know you for, Psalm 16, 3. The saints, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. What a joy it is to spend time enjoying all that we have come to share in through Jesus. I think it is the closest we get to heaven on earth, is in the fellowship that we have, in our conversation, in our hospitality, in our singing, in our encouraging, in our rebuking at times when that's needed, in our rejoicing in each other's joys, in our weeping in one another's sorrows, in our thanksgiving, in our praying for each other, in our struggling, in our enduring, in our forgiving, in our comforting, in our spurring on, and our hoping, and our longing, it is good and pleasant for the people of God to dwell in unity. And I've got a whole part that I want to say, but I'm going to pass over it, I think. Maybe there are some questions that arise in your mind. What's that look like? I don't, a, I don't have time. I'm busy. I'm not, a, I'm not an extrovert. Do you understand who's talking to you <laughs> about that one, first of all? There's lots of questions that arise, lots of what about this, what, in all the forms, in all the different things that we might, the questions that we might have, what I'm, what I'm looking to you for today is to join me in praying that this devotion to the fellowship grows among us. I'm not saying it isn't happening. Please do not hear me say, y'all stink at fellowship and it's not happening at all. I'm not saying that. I know many have come to visit our church and have seen, see, wow, there's fellowship. You actually seem to enjoy being together. Like That is something that visitors sometimes tell us about just even being in our gatherings. I'm not saying that this is not happening, but it can happen more. We can have a more sweet, more pleasant, more pervasive enjoyment of and expression of our shared participation in Christ, shaped by the word of God, fueled by the spirit of God, that every saint at JCF can get in on. But it will require a collective, individual intentionality on the part of every one of us to be devoted to it together. So I do want you to pray. And I do just want you to ask, am I, am I devoted Am I devoted to the fellowship? Does that priority, does that show up in your weekly or monthly planning? Or is it just like we've got all the stuff that we're looking to do this week and then maybe possibly somehow fellowship will fit in? And I'm just saying pray and then ask God to show you. Because I could be loud and I could be persuasive just with my volume of voice. But you search the scriptures and see where the priority of the fellowship of God's people ought to be in our lives. Ooh, but I just said ought. Where it gets to be. 
in our lives. We've, we've been made a family in Christ. And, and we should all be laboring in such a way that it feels like it. And that labor, I want you to hear, and I close, that labor is grace. That labor is a gracious labor. One man who understood that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm gonna, I've got three more minutes. I'm going to close with a quote from this man. And so just stay with me for three more minutes. Dietrich, you know, some of you, many of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story. He was executed in 1945 by the Nazis in a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, he was a Christian pastor. He was trying to fight, a, not f literally fight. He, was try he took part in a plot to assassinate Hitler. And he was arrested by the Nazis, and he was moved around to different concentration camps for a couple of years. And in, in all of that moving around, he basically lost all contact with the outside world. He became more and more isolated and severed from the people that he knew and loved. He was separated from, from really any and all fellowship. He wrote a lot of letters. His letters have persevered. I think you can actually buy a book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's letters from prison. And I'm not commending Dietrich Bonhoeffer as the most exquisite theologian at every point. But given the experience that he had and that isolation that he knew, I think his testimony about the power and graciousness of Christian fellowship is one for us to reflect on prayerfully. He, he wrote, his, probably his most famous book was called The Cost of Discipleship, but he wrote another book about six years before his death called Life Together. And it was all about the communion of the saints. And in that book, he wrote this. And it's, it strikes me because of what he ended up living. He said, the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians Praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is a grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. So I encourage you, beloved, let us thank God profoundly for the grace of Christian fellowship. And let us aspire for a greater and more fervent and more earnest devotion to it. Love you, brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you does not, thank you is just not a phrase that really does adequate justice to how good you have been to us in calling us out of darkness and bringing us into your marvelous light and giving us a family to enjoy you with. We do thank you for your family. 
it's hard, just the way any family is. It's hard. We have to forgive. We have to forbear. We have to confess. We have to repent. We disappoint one another. We let one another down. But it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to be a part of your family and to enjoy the communion of the saints. Would you help us all to be laboring and praying? First, to remember how richly and generously you have shared with us. And then that we might, living in the power of your spirit, might be more and more devoted to the fellowship. Would you help us to be prayerful and to be conversing with one another about what that would look like for us to be devoted to the fellowship so that the whole world and even the angelic hosts would see the love that you have birthed among us and would marvel and wonder at your wisdom in forming us to be your family. Continue your good work in us, Father, for the glory of your name. We ask all this through Christ our Savior. Amen.